The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... And I just was so confused. Like, what do you mean? There, you said he's going to, you know, be waking up. What are you talking about? And there wasn't really much, you know, they just said he's had too much brain damage and they, his family needs to come. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast, and thank you for joining me. As always, you know I appreciate your ears, and you know I appreciate your time. It's a a very precious commodity these days, so I hope you get a lot out of this episode, which I know you will, as always. So the guest that I have today is Katie Piazza-Leslie. She is from California. And Katie was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 30 years ago at the age of 8. Her brother Nick was diagnosed 12 years later at the age of 22. Katie came on to talk about her experience and tragedy with DKA. So DKA is diabetic ketoacidosis. I'm sure you've heard about it already, but you will hear a lot about it in this episode. Katie experienced DKA herself a number of times growing up. And at the age of 26, just four years after his diagnosis, Katie's brother, Nick, went into DKA and died. So Katie obviously now feels it's important, as do I, that we acknowledge the true severity of DKA when it comes to managing our type 1 diabetes. It's an informative story, an insightful story, a tragic story, and also a very powerful story. And inspiring one. So listen closely, take it all in, and I hope you enjoy. So, Katie, first of all, thanks so much for coming on. I know you actually listen to the podcast, which I'm very grateful for. And I know that the story and what you're going to outline for us is a very tragic story, but one that I feel is very important to share to help raise awareness around diabetes in itself and more specifically around DKA particularly in the month that we're in. So again, thank you for coming on. How are you today? 
I'm so grateful for you having me on. Thank you. I'm doing great today. So thank you for having this conversation with me. So look, Katie, I'd love to know a bit about your own diabetes story first. I know, as you said yourself, you recently, quote unquote, celebrated 30 yes. years living with <laughs> yes. diabetes. So tell us a bit about when you were diagnosed. Sure. So I had actually recently moved to a new town. I was just about to start a new school. So it was summertime here in California. And I had your very typical symptoms. I was eight years old and just kind of having a, a fun summer. And we were actually on vacation and I had the excessive thirst. I specifically remember sitting at a restaurant and they had brought us, me, my brother and my parents, uh, you know, four glasses of water and I drank mine immediately. And then I had to drink everybody else's and I, it was just alarming. Right. You know, so I'm, gosh, I'm so thirsty. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, it's summer, we've been having fun, you know, but, um, pretty much after that point, I kind of knew there was something up. And uh, I was fortunate that my mom actually kind of recognized the symptoms. She had worked in medical transcribing. And so she, she had often known about symptoms of diabetes. So I was lucky enough to, we actually came home and I went to an urgent care and they diagnosed me right away. Um, so that was, that was my story. It wasn't, um, I, I didn't get too, uh, I guess bad. My, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, I, I luckily kind of caught it before anything super bad happened. And, um, and I was kind of well taken care of once I was diagnosed. So you, you kind of caught it early in a sense where your bloods didn't go too high for too long before Correct. being diagnosed officially. Yes, I think I was around 600 when I got to the hospital. So obviously that's extremely high, but considering, you know, being diagnosed, there's been much worse. So I feel fortunate in that respect. So what were you thinking as an eight-year-old 30 years <laughs> ago who didn't really have an internet to go to or an Instagram to go on to oh. or podcast to listen to? What was your first steps after you got oh. out of hospital? That is such a good question. You know, I really was in that learning mode. Um, you know, I have the classic orange story. You, you know, bring me the orange and the syringe. And I just thought, gosh, that's so weird. You know, you're going to teach me how to inject in an orange. And, um, you know, and I, but I just really was absorbing it all. And I do often tell this story because I feel like it's a big part of how I think about my diabetes. But I shared a room with a young girl who was in a full body cast and she only spoke Spanish, but my dad actually is fluent in Spanish. So he was able to communicate with her and her nurses had actually told my dad the story that her family had been in a tragic car accident and she was the only survivor and she didn't know that yet. And when I learned that, I just thought, gosh, type one, you know, is really probably going to be much easier than what this poor girl is going through. And I really felt that way kind of the whole time I was in the hospital and kind of carried that with me after. And obviously being a, a young girl too, I, I really was more about learning and 
just wanting to to really take care of myself. But I think that situation with sharing a room with that girl really formed my whole philosophy on my type one. Um, and I did my, my mom always says too, I, I kind of was stubborn and just wanted to take my injections right away myself. I didn't want anyone else doing anything for me. And I felt that that was really important for me to be able to take care of myself right away. Um, and at eight years old, I, it sounds funny now. I didn't think I was that young. You know, I thought, oh, I can, you know, I'm I can sure. do this. Yeah, of <laughs> course, I can handle this. So I guess thinking about it now, that was a, a good attitude to have. But um, but it certainly was a learning curve. Um, and then starting a new school, being, you know, the new girl and having this disease was certainly something new and different for me. Um, but I was lucky that I, I had a pretty supportive group around me, but, um, I was the only type one in my school though. So that was, that was interesting, especially now when I think about it. Yeah. I was just thinking it's obviously difficult enough to go to a new school and I never really changed schools when I was younger. I was just in the one elementary or primary school and then secondary or high school, but as an eight-year-old, I can imagine how difficult that was. And then on top of this now new diagnosis of type one, when you were going into this new school, were you prioritizing one over the other? And what I mean by that, were you in a way still staying on top of your bloods as much or had they taken a backseat because you were so concerned about this new school and the new move that you've, you've done? Sure. Another great question. <laughs> you know, I, I really was actually embarrassed when I needed to do something different. So I remember often getting low blood sugars and letting them get a little too low because I didn't want to interrupt the class and say, Oh, I need to go to the nurse or I, I need juice or, and I remember that was that was hard for me. I actually once um, when it was a Catholic school, then when we we're in church, I actually waited too long and passed out in church um, because I had gotten too low, and and that was definitely a wake up call for me. That you know, I just need to take care of myself before passing out in front of the whole school. So. It definitely was a challenge as far as being, you know, now I'm even more different, right? I am going to this no school. I don't know anybody. There's not even a single other type one in the school. And the and even at the time, the nurses really didn't even know what to do, or there's just one, but really didn't even know what to do either. So even just as a third grader, I was just going into the bathroom, injecting myself, taking my blood sugars, and really managing everything on my own. So um, that was certainly a challenge, I want to say, up until, you know, once I got a little bit older, I think I really understood the weight of it. And I really needed to take care of myself. And once, once I was in school a little bit longer, everyone knew about it. I did a presentation on it at some point, <laughs> you know, to kind of teach people what was going on. So um, I would definitely say that to answer your question, that um, school was a little more important to me than than my type one because I was so new at it. I mean, I started school two weeks after I was diagnosed. 
So mm. um, I think even my first low blood sugar was at school and I didn't even really know what it was, you know, until I took my blood sugar and figured it out. So, so when you kind of gained this confidence around managing your own diabetes or just becoming more aware of how different things and various aspects of our day almost inevitably affect our blood sugar. Was that all just done through your own trial and error? Because nowadays everybody has all these great resources to kind of turn to and people to bounce ideas and questions off. Was that purely just your own test, 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 test? Yes, it really was. You know, I, I learned a lot of the textbook stuff, right? I mean, because that's what, that's all we had. You know, I, I learned from my doctor, of course, you know, certain things, but it, it really was more about, okay, this is what my number was and I felt good. Okay, I don't feel good when my number is like this or, you know, or if I'm high or low. And that really was my trial and error and, and kind of learning not to overcorrect my low blood sugars. And there really wasn't a lot of resources at all. But at the same time, I think I gained more confidence because I was figuring it out on my own. And I feel like that was probably really good for me in a way, because I knew that I had to be in control of myself and, and how I felt and, um, and to be able to have a, an active quote unquote normal, you know, life. And I remember at some point, you know, being at my friend's houses and just, you know, and taking my shots and they, you know, they kind of just understood what I was doing. We didn't really talk about it that much. I just kind of handled my business. I like to say, you know, and kind of, kind of went along with it, but, um, that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of, you know, ups and downs, obviously, because as a kid, you know, you're, I mean, even I think playing my first basketball game, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I, I need to eat a lot more, you know, before I play or um, figuring it all out was certainly a big task, but I even feel 30 years later, I'm still learning, you know, so I'm, I'm super thankful for more resources, but I think type one is, a constantly revolving learning experience. Exactly. And I suppose that's the strange beauty of it. It constantly keeps us learning and educating ourselves because it's always going to feel as if there's something new to consider, something new to take on board. But you spoke off briefly there, Katie, about if when things were difficult or finding it harder in school or with friends or whatever it might be, is there any period in your life that you felt was more difficult than the other? Because I can only imagine that being a young child into a young teenager, an older teenager into adulthood, we go through a lot of life changes within that. And even yes. with all these life changes, diabetes will always be there, unfortunately. Yes, definitely. But is there any one of those periods that you feel, oh, that was that was a difficult time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I would say college was definitely my most difficult time. And I think that that was for many different reasons. I think um, going off, you know, independently and, and living alone for the first time, I just felt this incredible 
sense of freedom because I really did. I didn't have anyone else asking me, you know, what are your blood sugars? How are you doing today? You know, what's just a constant, you know, conversation. And I, I thought, wow, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm finally free and I'm, you know, I'm going to college and I felt again, kind of like I, I knew everything that I was doing, but, um, that was for sure the most difficult time because it, it really took a backseat um, compared to just going to college and meeting all these new friends. And and once you're a little bit older, too, obviously, I, I think you're a little more independent and comfortable, you know, with yourself in a sense. But um, I almost... I remember thinking, God, I don't even need to tell anybody that I have type one yet. You know, I almost felt this sense of no one knows this is a whole new, you know, like this is a whole new experience and I'll tell people when I want to, you know, which it did come very quickly, obviously, as I'm, you know, injecting and I have people around me, but um, college was very difficult. I, it's sort of a thinking about it now, um, it was one of those times that I, I think I just selfishly wanted that freedom and independence of my type one. And I was really just getting by. And there's this other thought that I constantly had, which I mean, now, you know, I think is terrible, but I almost saw how much I could get away with, with my type one. And, and I was still okay. You know, so it was like, oh, gosh, I can ignore this, you know, for a certain amount of time. And then I can just take my shot later and I'll still be fine. And what a terrible you know, management practice when you, I think about it now, obviously. But that really was my demeanor at the time. Um, and almost I felt like a little rebellious because I just thought, gosh, I had to live with this for so long, you know, since I was little. And now I just want some time to, you know, kind of be free of the the heaviness of it. Um, and again, kind of took advantage of it in a way that, oh, well, I'm still okay, you know. Um, but at the same time, I had multiple hospital visits when I was in college um, for DKA. And I had I definitely had a few hard times, um, but again, I, you know, I survived them and sort of thought, well, okay, I learned from that one. I won't do that again. Um, but in reality, that's, that was much more serious than I was taking it at the time. And do you feel that you almost needed that time away? And what I mean by that was because you were diagnosed so young and as we both know, it's this it's the constant of diabetes all the time and all the time and all the time and when you went off to college it's it seems as though you kind of neglected it for a while and didn't give it the attention that you had been given it but do you feel as if part of you almost needed that time to not focus on it so much definitely yes i i did really need a break but i i now thinking about it, I, I took it the wrong way, but, but at the same time, it was, it was really a learning experience. And, and like you said, I mean, type one is such a constant, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, I remember one of the biggest issues for me was, gosh, I can't even just go to bed when I want, because if I'm 
low, you know, I can't just go to sleep and I have to have this, you know, willpower to, you know, stay awake and correct my low blood sugar and wait it out and make sure, you know, I don't pass out in my sleep. And, and all of that for, you know, however many years it was until I went to college. I mean, that, that was a lot. And I really did feel like I was doing it alone for a really, really long time. So it was, like I said, just this sense of freedom when I got to college and, and also thought, oh, I'm fine. I can totally take care of myself, you know, now that I've had it for so long. So I'm just going to, you know, kind of take this break, even though I know the bare minimum I'll get by. Um, so yeah, I definitely took advantage of that time. And given the experience that you had through your college years, if anybody is listening now who is in college or getting ready to go to college or even a younger diabetic or a parent of a diabetic sure. who is going to face those college years, is there any advice you would give them? Absolutely. I would say the advice is make sure that your friends or roommates and teachers and people around you that they know that you have type one. I think that that is absolutely so important. And obviously there's different extents of how in depth everybody knows, but I do think it's so important that people are aware that you have type one and just some of the common issues that there can be, right? A, a low blood sugar and what does someone do? Um, even a high blood sugar, you know, what do you do if you're excessively thirsty or, and just kind of letting people be aware of that because I, when you go to college, I mean, you're independent on your own, right? And if someone doesn't know, how are they going to be able to help you if you need it? Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I would tell somebody. I was lucky. I had some very, very good caring friends that, that took good care of me when I needed it. Um, but also kind of take the time to, to have fun. You know, I mean, college is, is a time to have fun and, and you can still be responsible and, and have fun and kind of learn about yourself and how you can manage your type one when you are being independent. And I even know from my experience, I was 19 when I was diagnosed. So yes. I was just going into college. Yes. And in Ireland, I'm sure, as you know, <laughs> there's a big drinking culture and you yes. get to college and there's loads of nights out and these kind of things. So yes, I knew that I still wanted to be involved with all of that, but I also still knew that I have to take care of my blood. So right. you hit the nail on the head about you can still enjoy yourself, just be responsible and make sure people know that you are type one people close to you and that are, are going to be around you absolutely yes i definitely enjoyed myself with those festivities <laughs> and so <laughs> so that's why i would say make sure the people you're with uh, are at least aware of your situation so we won't talk too much about that but i did have fun <laughs> good i'm glad to hear it, katie you mentioned a while ago that you had gone into dka a number of different times can yes. you remember, well, I'm guessing you do, but when was the first time that you went into DKA? Yeah, so the very first time I was actually pretty young. Um, I had gotten, I mean, I guess I thought I had gotten, you know, food poisoning, but I was, I started to 
throw up. I want to say I was around maybe 10 years old. Um, I remember I started just throwing up. I couldn't keep anything down. I felt awful, um, still really thirsty and just felt probably the worst I, I had ever felt. And my mom immediately said, okay, you know, we need to go to the ER. This isn't normal. You're not just sick. And I was really, really scared. Um, I just more so because of my type one. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, I've never really experienced anything worse than being diagnosed with type one. Um, and at the time my, my brother was there and it was late at night. My brother was there. My mom was in my room and everyone just kind of, I remember them just kind of staring at me and like, what is going on? You know, what is this? This is kind of crazy. And so, um, when I went to ER, you know, they did, my blood sugars were very elevated. And I remember thinking I couldn't get my blood sugars down and, you know, that's not normal. Um, and when I actually did go to the hospital, I remember the first time again, I was young and the doctor at the time was just so, hard on me, which maybe is good because DK is very serious. But I remember just having this, I felt very embarrassed and, and really shameful about it because I thought, oh, I, I must have been able to prevent this or, you know, I must have, this must be my fault. And um, I had a, just a really different experience. I mean, I, I do remember I, it took a little while for me to feel better once they got you know, IVs in me and my blood sugars regulated. Um, but it really was a, a terrible experience. Um, and after being in the hospital too, we didn't really talk about it that much because I, again, just felt really embarrassed and like it was my fault. So I didn't really want to talk about it. And, uh, and I, it was sort of shaped this, oh gosh, you know, I, I can't let that happen. And, um, you know, it, as the doctor explained, it leads to so many complications and, you know, told me all those scary stories that we've probably all heard at this point. But, and I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I let that happen to myself. And, um, and one of those things that retrospect, right, that, gosh, it, it really should be something that, is talked about more because it's one of those complications of diabetes that just, it, it can happen so quickly and, and just be extremely dangerous. Um, and that was something that actually had happened to me several times. So the first time I, I was younger and then again, when I was in college and being very irresponsible at certain times, I, you know, <laughs> ended up in the hospital again with that. And, and I would say again, just because it happened so fast, um, I think that was the most alarming thing to me. Um, and when you say it happened so fast, Katie, is this a matter of weeks, a matter of days, a matter of hours for anyone who doesn't know? You know, certainly a matter of, I would say probably a matter of at least 12 hours, but it, probably a couple days. I mean, I think the first time it happened to me, I, I got to the hospital pretty quickly um, because my mom forced me basically. But when I was older, I really was 
kind of defying it, but I knew what it was. So when I was in college, I kind of thought, oh, okay, I'm just sick, you know, I'll get better, I'll get better, I'll get better. But once I didn't get better, it I would say definitely a couple days, and then I would need to be, you know, admitted to the hospital. But um, in my mind, it the way that, at least for me, that I would decline so quickly was alarming because there was just nothing that would you know, make me feel better. And especially when I can't get my blood sugars down um, from being dehydrated, that always just makes me feel awful. Um, and, and for me, you know, it just, there's almost no, no worse feeling. I mean, it's always, it's a tough, it's a toss up between the really low blood sugars and the really high <laughs> ones, but, yeah. but, you know, being high for a, a long period of time, I, I think uh, makes me feel worse at least. So um, happening quickly, I would say a matter of days for sure. To kind of give us an idea of like the circumstances around these times that you went into DKA, was there anything that you did or didn't do that led to it? Like, had you been not taking your insulin? Had your bloods just been uncontrollable for whatever reason? You know, certainly when I was older, yes, my blood sugars were just and this is my college years where I was in the hospital a few times for it. They were just constantly elevated and I really wasn't, I just wasn't paying attention to it the way that I should have been. I, with a high blood sugar, I, I just always thought, Oh, I can correct it. Okay. You know, I'll take my shot and I'll correct it and it will be fine. And then once it wouldn't correct, you know, in the proper way, I would, try different method, you know, Pedialyte or let, you know, I need to be hydrated. But um, I almost felt like there, there just wasn't much you could do after a certain point. Um, and I felt so bad, you know, it's almost like I had to get some other kind of help. But for me, it was always the elevated blood sugars. At the same time, though, when I was younger, the first time, I really was just kind of sick and kind of had like a flu and, and that extreme dehydration really just got worse, which I think is what really led to my DKA because that dehydration just led to those high blood sugars and then, you know, led to the DKA. So Mm. always kind of a, a perfect storm of bad things. (laughs) And when you went into DKA the first time, I know you said that your, your doctor, your endo was kind of giving you a hard time about some tough love, I would imagine, to to say the least. Were you aware of how serious and potentially dangerous DKA is? I had no idea. I didn't even know what it was. And I'm pretty sure the doctor said diabetic ketoacidosis. And I thought, what? You know, what is that? You know, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, So absolutely not. And I don't, nobody in my family did. You know, this was our first time. Certainly nobody in the hospital, you know, when I was diagnosed, told me about it. There, you know, as you said earlier, there's wasn't a lot of resources for it. And unfortunately, you know, just my experience is what taught me about it. Um, And I certainly didn't know how dangerous it it was. And I would say that almost was why I think even in the hospital when I was older too, I thought, well, okay, I have DKA, but you know, I survived it. You know, I, they, they give me fluids. They put me on an insulin trip. I, 
takes a little while to feel better, but, but now I'm okay. And so I kind of took it in that maybe a little too lightly because I did survive it and, and thought, okay, well, this is just one of those conditions that I can treat, even though, you know, you never want to actually get there, but um, it wasn't something that I, I thought was too dangerous, even though, I mean, I thinking about it now, of, of course it was right. Um, and, and different doctors kind of explained it in a different way to me. The first one obviously scared me and, you know, so I never wanted it to happen again, but kind of going back to it happening so quickly. I mean, when I was older, it just, you know, I was just in denial, you know, that that's what it was because I didn't want it to be. And it just got to the point where I absolutely had, you know, had to go to the hospital and and get some sort of treatment before it got any worse. So after the first time and the doctor, as we, as you've said, kind of gave you a hard time. Yes. With the other times that you had gone into DKA, did the doctors explain it differently or give you different advice or how was it outlined to you? How did they tell you what DKA actually is? You know, they really didn't. It it was sort of this thing where when they said it, it's DKA and because I kind of knew what it was, I almost, I wasn't looking for an explanation and I always thought no one took it that seriously because, and I sort of thought that that's why also, maybe that's why I didn't take it as seriously because, okay, well, it is DKA. This is, you know, what happens when your body is that resistant to insulin and your blood sugars are elevated. But I almost felt like when I was older that the doctors just assumed I kind of knew what it was and and didn't need any more education on it, or it was almost just more focused on getting me better and out of there rather than really explaining what it was. And honestly, I did not have a good, I had healthcare for sure. And I had a, a doctor, you know, growing up, but I honestly did not find a good doctor or team until recently, honestly. So I really grew up without having this great doctor that I can go to and and talk to everything about comfortably. Um, And which now that I have a really good team, I I realize how important that is. And and being an advocate for yourself is so important Um, and learning kind of just about yourself and your disease. But um, I didn't have those resources growing or I I had the resources. I just didn't have the right person. You know, I mean, I didn't have the right doctor for me. Um, And knowing now what a difference that's made, I think that had a lot to do with what I did and didn't know, not just about DKA, but about everything really. Mm. Yeah, I think it's hugely important for people to be comfortable and confident in their doctor or their diabetic team and absolutely over all the diabetics that i've spoken to over the years i hear so many mixed opinions and stories about how people feel when they go into their diabetic appointments and it's actually very often that people say they're terrified to even just go in and talk about diabetes to their doctor because they feel as if their doctor doesn't fully acknowledge the complexity and intricacies of it. Exactly. And 
obviously people will respond differently to different types of doctors. Like someone with type one could respond very well to that tough love, whereas that might not work well for somebody else. And I think it's important that even if anybody's listening right now, if you are not fully confident or comfortable with your team, you can go to a different one. You can find a different hospital, find a different doctor. It's a very important side of it, I feel. It's very important. I, I couldn't encourage it more if if you're not comfortable with your doctor, if you just know that they're not the right one for you. And it is a task. I mean, it, it was a huge task, actually, for me to, to really find that care. But I knew that I needed to. Otherwise, I w- how am I going to live you know, forever, right, with this type one and not have a good doctor. And it really became very, very important to me. It was, it was really prompted because I did want to have a child and thought, gosh, I really better talk to somebody that, that I know that is I'm confident in, but, um, but I couldn't emphasize that enough to be comfortable. And, and honestly, there's, there's the good doctors and there, there's still going to be that different perspective, but even like your podcast on, I mean, it's, it is so helpful to have just real conversations and listening to other type ones about the reality of everyday life with it. Because I mean, as you often hear about, right, you go to your doctor, you're talking about your A1C, you're talking about, you know, your insulin regimens and just very technical things. But it really is also finding those other resources that are just so incredibly helpful. Um, Even exercising, you know, with type one or, you know, just a million different topics that we have to deal with on a daily basis. So I think a good combination of a good doctor and finding resources that, are going to be relatable is is key to your health. Yeah, for sure. And you you said it earlier, you can never stop learning about type one. So the more information that we're consuming, it's only ever going to benefit our management, which is something we all want. So get out there, get out there and learn as much as you can. A hundred percent. Yes. That was part one of my chat with Katie. As you know, if you are listening on the day of the release of this episode, Part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is going to be the next episode on our list. Enjoy part two and thanks for listening to part one.